You're listening to the Seabreeze Church Podcast. All right, are you in the mood? Good morning, everyone. Good to see you today. If you're new to Seabreeze, my name is Bevan. I'm the senior pastor, and we're so glad that you've joined us today. Last week, we started the conversation on the world of the paranormal by kind of getting a general lay of the land. We provided you with a map of the spiritual world. And the reason a map is important when it comes to the spiritual world is that it turns out we are not just occasional or mere observers on the spiritual world. We are actually travelers in the spiritual world. Whether you're aware of it or not, you and I are traveling not only through the physical world, but simultaneously also through the spiritual world. Now, the purpose of a map is to get you where you want to go without getting lost. Getting lost in the spiritual world, though, is not like getting lost in the physical world. If you get lost in the physical world, it's, it's an inconvenience. It's, it's a delay. It's an irritation. But in the spiritual world, it's very different. If you get lost in the spiritual world, it's way worse than getting lost in the physical world. And that's because the spiritual world is at war, all of it. There is no place, no person that is uncontested, that is neutral in this spiritual war. And so in a sense, when it comes to the spiritual world, it's like we are traveling in eastern Ukraine right now, a war zone. And so if you're traveling in eastern Ukraine, you have a map. What you risk, if you don't read that map correctly, is not just getting lost in eastern Ukraine, but getting captured in eastern Ukraine. And so that's why today, having looked at the map of the spiritual world, we turn our attention to the traps of the spiritual world. Now, how did we get tangled up and involved in this invisible war between God and his angels and Satan and his demons? How did we get tied up in that? Well, it all started in the Garden of Eden when Satan attacked the first man and the first woman, Adam and Eve. He attacked them not physically, but spiritually. This is the spiritual war that we're under. Now, it was really an attack primarily on God, not just Adam and Eve. But if you're Satan and you decide to go to war against God, you have a problem. How do you fight God? As was mentioned last week, he's all-powerful. Satan is not. God doesn't have any weaknesses. But God's creation does have a key weakness, and we are that weakness. The reason is because God created us to be free, to choose. And the reason he created us that way is because God himself is love, and he created us with the capacity, not only for relationship with each other, to really love each other, but to love him. But real love must be free. If it's coerced, if it's forced, if it's automatic, it doesn't meet the standard for real love. And so we alone were created with the capacity for a relationship with God and with each other. And what that means is we also have the capacity and therefore the weakness of choice. We can choose to follow God or not. We can choose to love each other or not. Satan saw the opportunity in that freedom, and we now are ground zero in this great invisible battle. Now, what does Satan want to do to you and me? Well, he wants what any enemy wants. He wants to kill us. Not just physically, but spiritually. He doesn't just want us physically dead. He wants us forever dead, eternally dead. Well, how does that occur? By separating us from the God who is the author of life, 
and who loves us. 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 8 in the New Testament describes our enemy in this war this way. It says, your enemy, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. Satan, together with his vast demonic army, is hunting us. That's what this is saying. And this verse speaks of the stealth that's involved in this hunt. Like a lion, it approaches its prey in secret and will not pounce until it's too late for the prey to escape. This is the attack of the enemy. Now, not only is Satan sneaky, he is highly intelligent. So in addition to prowling, hidden, he sets traps to gather us so that he might also pounce. In 2 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 11, the Apostle Paul is warning the Corinthians of the importance of forgiving each other. And he goes on to say this, in order that Satan might not outwit us, for we are not unaware of his schemes. He has traps, he has schemes. Bitterness, the, the refusal to forgive, bitterness against God, bitterness against each other, is one of his normal traps. We are speaking of the paranormal traps, the not normal traps. And like every trap, these traps contain bait that the prey, us, is attracted to. I went to college uh, in Grand Rapids, Michigan. I'd never lived in Michigan, been to Michigan before. One of the things I noticed shortly after I arrived as a freshman is there were these pink salt blocks kind of throughout the fields in the forests of the lower peninsula of Michigan. I'd never seen these before. So when I investigated and asked what, what's the purpose of those, I discovered the purpose is this. The hunters would set them out as a trap for the deer because the deer craved the salt. And so the deer would come, lick the salt. The hunters would wait in blinds, and as soon as the deer would come, they would shoot them. Now that doesn't sound like hunting to me. <laughs> Sounds kind of weird, but that's what they did. And I say this illustration because this is very much what the enemy does to us. In this invisible spiritual war, Satan does the same kind of thing. He sets a trap with the kind of bait that we have a taste for, that we like. And when we arrive, because we are drawn to the bait, he captures us. So what in the what is the spiritual bait that he uses to trap us? Well, like the deer with the salt, it's something, not that we need physically, as is in the case with the deer, it's something that we crave and really long for spiritually on the inside. So this morning we're going to look at two of the spiritual salt licks that the enemy uses to draw us, to trap us because of what we long for spiritually. The first trap is set up by this particular need. We are seeking spiritual information. One of the things we long for, all of us on the inside, is information from the spiritual realm, from the invisible realm. And the reason we long for this, crave this, is because we can imagine the future, we can plan for the future, we can attempt to predict the future, but we cannot see the future. And so we long for more information. <clears throat> what is spiritual information? It's information that is unavailable to humans through normal means. That's the title of the series, paranormal, not normal. This is not statistics. This is not 
the analytics that you hear so much in sports, which is basically a statistical analysis of situations and what's happened in the past in that sport, that's science. That's normal. We seek, in addition to that, we seek paranormal spiritual information. Now, why would we be interested in more information than we already have? We live in what's been referred to as the information age. We are overloaded with information. Well, the problem for us is that none of the information that we have access to shows us the future. That information doesn't exist in the visible realm because it's temporal. It's locked by time. But it does exist in the spiritual realm because the spiritual realm operates beyond time. It is eternal. So if we could just get some clues from the spiritual realm about what's coming, then we could better prepare for the future. Ecclesiastes 3, verse 11, says this, describes this, this curiosity and this challenge this way. It says, He, speaking of God, has made everything beautiful in its time. He has also set eternity in the, heart, in the human heart, yet no one can fathom what God has done from beginning to end. Three phrases that describe the challenge, the predicament we find ourselves in, and why we want more information. First of all, it says God makes everything beautiful, and these are the key words, in its time. So what that means is there is a lot of things that are beautiful right now, but not everything is beautiful. And we know as we look out in this world. And the question is, okay, well, when will everything be beautiful? The answer is, in its time, according to God's plan. Well, very rarely do we say, oh, okay. I want to know more than that. Why? Because the second phrase goes on to say, he has also set eternity in the human heart. What that means is we are not content just simply to pass time. We are moving through time, moment by moment, hour and day by day. But our understanding is that this day, our life, our time, should be for something bigger than just that moment. We have a desire to make an impact that is huge, actually an eternal impact, because we have this sense that our lives mean more than just passing through time. And what that means is we, we tend to feel like aliens in this world of time, and we long to be a part of eternity. That's our destiny. So we want to do what matters eternally, really matters, really makes an impact. And we long to do that. But here's the problem. No one can fathom what God has done from beginning to end. Our minds cannot completely figure out what God is doing. Sometimes we have no clue what he's doing. Which means we live in time with a level of uncertainty about our life and what we're doing because we don't know exactly what God's overall plan is and how to be a part of that. This is why we want more information. Now, the good news is that God has given us spiritual information from the eternal realm. He did this through his prophets over a span of 1,600 years. And he verified his words in the Bible by miracles that were seen by many. Every book in the Bible has a paranormal signature, a evidence that this is not just some guy talking. These are words from God. Now, the Bible is the written record of God's words. It's a map that you and I can use to navigate the physical and spiritual world. Psalm 119, 105 describes how we use this map. It says, your word is a lamp to my feet and a light 
for my path. What this means is that God's word is, is like a flashlight or, in the ancient days, a, a lantern that would just kind of show you the next step and a half or so. It would illuminate the path in front of you. Not by magically telling you, like our GPS does, turn right, turn left, but by showing you the principles of God's word that apply to this situation so that you might know how to navigate the complexity of life. Well, that, that takes work. That's a normal way of navigating life. And we want more certainty than that. We want a, paranormal, we want a magic kind of way to tell us what to do next. And that leads us to Satan's information salt blocks. Here is the trap that comes out of this craving we have for spiritual information. The trap is deception. So here's what happens is we are seeking spiritual information. Satan knows that. And he uses that information to deceive us, to lie to us, to get us to make decisions that are wrong. Let me give you a list of some of the spiritual salt blocks that Satan sets out to trap the spiritually curious. Horoscopes, fortune-telling, psychic hotlines, tarot cards, Ouija boards, palm reading, and mediums channeling the dead. These all offer paranormal information, spiritual information. Now, that information that's given, it comes from somewhere. You now, it could be just the mind of the person who is offering this information, just making stuff up so that they can earn a fee from the person who's paying them for this extra information. But these salt blocks of spiritual information also serve like a whistle that calls the demonic to come and deceive the listener with information that will derail their life. Or just keep them going in endless circles, never finding the true God until it's too late. So let's look at these in turn. First, the horoscopes, astrology. Now, just to be clear, I'm talking about astrology, which is the using of stars to predict the future, not astronomy, which is the science and study of the stars. That's a good thing. Astrology, not a good thing. Now, many tend to think this is harmless fun. I mean, I often have conversations with people where it'll come up, the, the zodiac sign that they were born under or, or you know, what they, information they got based on their, their horoscope. And they think it's just harmless fun to talk about the sign they were born under and what that might mean for who they should date or not date or what kind of decisions they might need to make or how they should approach a problem they're facing. But here's what God says about this ancient practice in Isaiah 47, 13. It says, all the counsel you have received has only worn you out. Let your astrologers come forward, those stargazers who make predictions month by month. Let them save you from what's coming upon you. The warning that God is making here is very clear. He's basically saying this is an entire waste of your time. It's just wearing you out and giving you nothing. Worse than that, it's distracting you from me, the only one who can really save you. You're looking to the stars and the astrologers who are using them to predict the future to try to save you from the disasters that are coming, and instead they're distracting you from the only one that can save you. This is a trap. So if you're looking at horoscopes daily or weekly or monthly or occasionally, if 
you're looking at the zodiac sign under which you were born to try to make your decisions, you need to just stop it. It's a trap. Back away from the salt lick before you get trapped. Now, the rest of the items on this list, they fall under the general category of divination. All the rest of these are different means of divination is the word. Divination, the root of the word divination is divine, which means proceeding directly from God. So these, these promise to give us information directly from God. Now, the practice of divination is to foresee future events by interpreting omens. So divination almost always uses some object, and that's what an omen is. An omen is an object or means that is supposedly used to peer into the future, to get some paranormal information about the future. And so it could be the subject's palm in the case of a palm reader, or tarot cards, or the Ouija board. In addition to these objects, fortune tellers will read tea leaves or use crystal balls. These are all omens, objects that they say gives them insight into the future. Now, psychics don't generally use objects to divine or peer into the future. They claim to simply have the ability to sense the invisible world. Now, as you look through this list, what you're seeing is a list that has a well-documented history of charlatans who scam people for gain. We all know this. You know, if you want to waste a lot of money, you can spend money on these things. But the question is this, why do so many then fall for this? The reason is because we are so desperate for information. And oftentimes the information, if we even dabble, we'll get sucked into this because the information that we're, give, we're given through these means can be accurate. They can tell us something that they couldn't know about us. Or they can predict a future event that actually turns out to be true. Well, if these are traps, how is that possible? Well, let's go back to our map of the spiritual world. If you were here last Sunday, you know there's, there's really only two powers in the spiritual world at war. There's God and his angels. There's Satan and his demons. Now, Satan is not all-powerful and all-knowing like God, but he is still supernatural. He has more capacity than we do. He's way smarter than we are. And he has an intelligent, intelligence network, network of demons that are also smarter than us. So while Satan and his demon army, they cannot see the future like God can, their knowledge of the present and their ability to anticipate the future, their analytics is crazy good, way beyond ours. The demons know more about your life than you can remember. So just because the knowledge from a psychic can be accurate because of this doesn't mean that you're dealing with something holy. You're listening to the demonic. Now, why would Satan get involved in this area? Well, so he can deceive us. It's the trap. 1 Timothy 4.1 says, The Spirit clearly says that in later times some will abandon the faith and follow deceiving spirits and things taught by demons. Ethan talked about last week what's happening is as the decline of belief in God and attendance in church goes on, the interest in the paranormal goes up. 
And that's what this is describing. Now, these people who are getting involved in some of these sources of information, they're not thinking, you know what? I want to go listen to a demon. They didn't decide one day, you know what? I'm, I'm tired with organized religion. I'm going to pick up something really weird and just see what demons have to say. That's not what they're thinking. They don't know this. They don't know that they're listening to demons. They don't know that deceiving spirits are speaking through these different means. They're just trying to get a little help from a psychic. Or they're just a little curious about, does that horoscope have anything to help me with? Or they're just having a little fun with friends on a Ouija board. But in the world of the paranormal, they have, again, they've just blown the demon whistle and said, hey, here I am. Come get me. And they're now dealing with a force that they are no match for. So God's warning is very, very clear throughout the pages of the Bible on this. Here's one example, Deuteronomy 18, 10 through 12. Let no one be found among you who sacrifices their son or daughter in the fire. Okay, we'd all agree with that one. Who practices divination or sorcery, interprets omens, engages in witchcraft or casts spells, or who is a medium or spiritist, or who consults the dead. Anyone who does these things is detestable to the Lord. So divination is, is on the same list with offering your son and your daughter to the fire? Wow. Why? It was demons who made up the false ancient god known as Molech, who convinced throughout history millions and millions of mothers and fathers to do the unthinkable, to sacrifice their children to him in fire. Demons came up with that, and people did it. You don't mess with demons. They will destroy you and everything you love. Now, there's another paranormal source that's implied on this list, but we use a different word to describe what it implies, and is actually the thing that's probably most popular right now, and that is ghosts. Now, our culture is absolutely obsessed with ghosts. And I'll be honest, for my wife and I, our favorite show right now is the CBS show Ghosts. It's really well written. It's really funny. So if you haven't seen it, this may sound weird, take a look at this. I'm Samantha. This is Jay. <laughs> We're fixing the place up. This house is a disaster. He's not wrong. This place looks haunted. I mean, it is haunted, but you don't want people to think that. Ghosts are a real thing, and my wife talks to them now. There's a hippie and a viking. <gasps> and a guy dressed like Hamilton. How do you know about Hamilton? What do you want? Leave him, kill yourself, become a ghost, and get with me. <laughs> no. It is time for you all to leave. <laughs> Girl, who can't leave? Yeah, you just sort of stay where you die. And how you die. My doc was pretty worried about my blood pressure. Luckily, didn't turn out to be a problem. Oh, what happened? There's an air. We've been through this. This is our house. We've been here longer than you. Yeah, and guess what? We're alive. Alive. <gasps> <gasps> Ouch. So as I said, it's, it's really funny. The question is, is it real? In 2021, a polling group by the name of OnePoll conducted a survey of 2,000 people aged 21 and over and found that 57% of them believe in ghosts. Ethan mentioned this statistic last week. One in three of the respondents claimed that they had felt an unexplained presence in their house. So what is that? Well, first of all, let's define 
what a ghost is. A ghost is the spirit of a dead person that haunts living people or a location here on earth. So is the majority, are the majority of Americans right? Do dead people actually do this? Do they come back and haunt places and haunt people and mess with them and scare them? Is that what they do? Well, the Bible is very clear about what happens after we die. Probably the best summary statement is Hebrews 9, verse 27. It says, it is appointed for man, mankind, to die once, and after that comes judgment. So the Bible is very clear. People don't die and enter into some kind of middle state, some period of time where they're just kind of waiting around, maybe doing some unfinished business or messing with people, and, and therefore with all their free time, they might as well haunt a place that they like. They might as well mess with some people and you know, play some tricks on them. That's not what the Bible says happens to us after we die. We all face God's judgment immediately, with or without Christ. In Luke 16, Jesus tells a true story about a rich man who makes this point. The rich man dies, and he faces God's judgment. Lazarus, who was a, a poor man begging at his table, table, also dies, but before he dies, he cries out to God for mercy and receives mercy from God. And so the rich man sees Lazarus in the next life, having ended up in a very different place than Lazarus. He says, he begs God to allow Lazarus to return back to the world of the living and warn his brothers, who, like him, are not taking God and any of his offers for mercy seriously because they don't think it's real. And his thought is, you know, if a ghost comes back, if Lazarus comes back and they recognize him and he says, hey, take this stuff seriously, they'll take it serious. But God says no. And the reason he says no is because, you know, even if someone were to come back from the dead, your brothers wouldn't be convinced. They'll write it off as something else because their hearts are set. This isn't going to work. So no. The, the point is this. If God did allow the spirits of the dead to return to this world to interact with us, if they did anything at all, they wouldn't haunt. They wouldn't play tricks. Having seen the judgment of God, they would do everything they could to save people from that judgment. They wouldn't haunt. They wouldn't play tricks. So why are we so fascinated with this idea of ghosts? Well, again, it's information. If they're real, then they know something we don't know about the world that we can't see. Maybe they know something about some people. But we are told in the passage I read earlier that we are to avoid any medium or spiritist who consults the dead. That's what a medium does. They are the, middle, the, the channeler of a, of a deceased person. In God's warnings, we are not to try to tune into the ghost channel. So what is it then when Uncle Fred show, seems to show up in a, in a seance and speaks through a medium? What is that? Well, again, you're either being tricked or you're in contact with a demon who came to impersonate someone to give you information that will lead you astray from the truth and into a trap. So if you hear of a ghost sighting, it wasn't a ghost. It was likely an encounter with a demonic. Now, again, why would Satan want to get so many Americans 
tricked into believing that there are ghosts. Well, because if, if he can get us to believe in a world of people haunting this world from the grave, what would that say about what the Bible says about life after death and the need to put our faith in Jesus Christ? It would say that that's unnecessary. That's not really what happens. It would question all of that. So we seek spiritual information, and the enemy uses that longing to deceive us so that we will stand one day before God unprepared for our judgment. The second salt lick, the second thing we crave, is we seek spiritual power. Not only are we in need of information about the future to help us navigate our lives, we could also use a little extra power to have more influence over the circumstances and the people in our lives and even over ourselves. Now, God does offer his power just like he offers supernatural information. He offers his power to help us. But that comes with his conditions that we decide to follow Jesus Christ and then we get the power of the Holy Spirit. But we have to trust his plan and his timing. And we always prefer to be in control of everything, information and power. So if we can come up with some extra spiritual battery juice on our own terms, that's really attractive to us. This is the appeal of witchcraft, which is the offer of power. That's what it is, and it's spells and potions and black magic. Now, you may think that witchcraft disappeared along with the Middle Ages, but it did not. In fact, it's making a big comeback in our nation right now. It's been rebranded, and it's advancing quickly under a very different name. The name is Wicca. Wicca comes from the word witch, so it's not a real tricky rebranding. It's just a, another way to say witch. And it is one of the fastest-growing religions in the nation. It is the fastest-growing religion in the nation among the millennial generation. I read an article in The Atlantic, uh, March 2020, which is a respected publication. And the title of the article is, Why Witchcraft is on the Rise. And I just wanted to read this one excerpt from this article. Here's what it says. Casting spells and assembling altars have become quite lucrative. You can attend a fall equinox ritual organized by Airbnb. Sign up for the subscription Witch Boxes offering the equivalent of Blue Apron. Not being a millennial, I had to look up what that was. It's a meal service or recipe service for magic making. And by Aura Cleanses on Etsy. Instagram's reigning influencer, Bria Luna, has more than 450,000 followers. This is big business. Now, Wicca claims to be a 35,000-year-old religion. But the truth is, the Wicca faith grew out of the writings of a former customs officer. His name was Gerald Gardner, who wrote a book in 1954 entitled Witchcraft Today. And in this book, he supposedly recounted his experience with a coven, whose tenets, he said, were passed down from the Middle Ages. This is the book that is the authority in the beginning of Wicca. So what's the appeal? And in, in an age of science, why are so many people going this way? Because we need power. We need extra help. We can't manage ourselves. We can't manage people. We can't manage our circumstances. And the appeal of Wicca is that it practices two kinds of magic. There's low magic and high magic. Low magic is about improving your circumstances. Basically, getting people and the situation of your life to 
yield to you. High magic apparently is tougher because it's about improving yourself. So what's the harm in just simply trying to get a little help improving yourself? Well, again, back to the map. There's only two paranormal powers, God and Satan. Wicca seeks its power from the demonic. It's real power, but it comes with a trap. The trap is possession. The trap is possession. Here's what happens. When we seek paranormal power, we get overpowered paranormally. Let me say that again. When we seek paranormal power, we get it, but it doesn't just help us. It takes over. We get overpowered paranormally. Galatians 5, 19-20 says this, The acts of the sinful nature are obvious. Sexual impurity, or sexual morality, impurity, and debauchery, idolatry, and witchcraft. Idolatry and witchcraft are paired together on this list for a reason. It's because they, they go together. Idolatry, the definition of idolatry, is it's the worship of a false god. Now, when someone worships a false god, it turns out that it's not just a silly idea that someone came up with. It's actually an idea that a demon came up with. And that demon is receiving the worship that is being offered to that false god. We read about this in the book of 1 Corinthians. The Apostle Paul is speaking to people who were involved in the practice of offering food that were sacrificed to, to idols and buying that food in the marketplace. And here's what he says in 1 Corinthians 10, 19 through 20. Do I mean then that food sacrificed to an idol is anything? Or that an idol is anything? He's saying that these aren't anything. They're, they're not true. No. But, and here's the big thing, the sacrifices of pagans are offered to demons. Not to God. And I don't want you to be a participate with, participant with the demons. So he says the worship doesn't do anything to the food that's offered. It remains unchanged. Why? It doesn't do anything because the idol isn't real. The idol isn't anything real. But what he's saying is what the worship of these false gods do is it, it impacts the worshiper. When you worship a demon, even if you don't know that's what you're doing, you become, as Paul says, a participant with that demon. It gains a hold in your life, a foothold, that only the power of Jesus can break. I don't know if you have ever seen the demonic manifest themselves in a person. I have just a handful of times, and I'll never forget it. It's not something that can be made up. Paul wrote this warning to Christians. Sometimes Christians think, you know, I decide to follow Jesus Christ, and I get kind of like an invisible force shield where I get to walk through this spiritual world at war untouched. That is not true. You don't get a free pass on this just because you decide to follow. You get help, but you don't get a free pass. So this is why next week we're going to wrap this series up on the day before Halloween. We're going to consider the spiritual armor that God has given us to provide protection against the dark, evil realm that is bent on our destruction. So witchcraft is a false god. It is a religion, a false religion. It is idolatry. And when the spells are said and the crystals are, are prayed to and the incense is burned, there are demons gathered to receive that ritual worship. 
Now, they don't just receive that worship passively. They trade it for power, influence in the life of the worshiper. Selling your soul to the devil is a real thing. You may not know, the person may not know, but it's a real thing. The demonic uses their power to possess those who unknowingly offer them worship. This is why we are to stay a long ways away from this stuff. So as we approach Halloween, the message of our culture is very different than what you've just heard. The message is that the evil side of the paranormal is harmless fun because it's not real. But that's just not true. The demonic horde does not sleep. They are driven by their leader that is highly intelligent and does not sleep and has an experience of millennia. So the warning again is this, 1 Peter 5, 8, your enemy the devil prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. Don't get drawn to the salt licks. Let's pray. Father, we, we thank you for the information that comes from your word, not just on this, but on all the big areas of life. And we know that it takes work to, to read it, understand it, think about how to apply it in our situation. But I pray you'd help us to put in the work to, to get the additional information rather than seek a quick source of information that is a trap. And we thank you for your power that comes through the Holy Spirit to help us change, to help us navigate the challenges of life. And I pray that you'd, you'd help us to stay away and, and give us clear warning Stay away from all the other attempts of finding power. And in this season when the second biggest holiday of the year celebrates the dark part of this invisible war, God, I pray that you would rescue many out of the kingdom of darkness and bring them into the kingdom of your son, the kingdom of light. Help us as we have conversations with friends to know what to say, to offer help, to really love them. We pray this now in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. Thanks for listening to the Seabreeze Church podcast. For more information about our church, you can visit our website, seabreezechurch.com. Thanks again for listening in, and we hope you'll join us next week for the Seabreeze Church podcast.